On this episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Yoon Choi, Vice President at Spark, to discuss her work developing new mentoring programs for middle school students. What I thought would be a temporary career choice is actually the career that I'm doing now, which is working in an education nonprofit. Uh, basically, I just never looked back. Welcome to the Nonprofit Ready Podcast conversations with accomplished professionals from across the nonprofit sector about what they do, why they do it, and how they make change happen. I'm your host, Justin Waddell from nonprofitready.org and the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Yoon Choi, Vice President of California Regions at Spark, a national nonprofit working to re-engage underserved 7th and 8th grade students through workplace-based apprenticeships that uniquely combine mentoring, project-based learning, skill building, and career exploration. Our team at the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation has partnered with Spark for a number of years, and I had the pleasure of serving as a mentor myself to some amazing middle school students through this program. Yoon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Justin. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, we uh, are so happy that you actually said yes. You know, <laughs> I feel like we've worked so much together uh, just either through mentorship or back-end programs. I'm excited to actually go a little bit deeper. Because as I was uh, reflecting on our relationship, I realized, you know what, I don't know enough about you and Choi's professional background. So this is going to be enlightening for everyone. Perfect. I'm, I'm happy to share. Awesome. So I want to spend some time today talking about Spark and your role specifically. But first, let's go back a few years and talk about some of your first jobs and professional influences. What were some of your early jobs and what did you learn from these experiences? Sure. Well, if you had asked me even five years ago what I thought I might be doing today, I probably would have said I'd be a tenure-track professor at a university. I come from a family of academics, and I guess you could say teaching was in my blood. But more than teaching, perhaps just a passion for learning, whether it be my own learning or watching others learn, that's always been something that's brought me a lot of joy. Um, so one of my first jobs was actually teaching teaching English in Korea. I was actually only a freshman in high school at the time, but I was teaching middle-aged women conversational English. And as a teacher, it was really fun to figure out creative ways to get them to learn the language. We interpreted English language pop songs, did various role play activities, and it was, it was fun. That was the first time I really learned that teachers get as much out of the learning experience as students do, and that certain lessons really stick if you learn things in creative ways. From that time on, pretty much all of my jobs were teaching jobs in different types of settings. Companies abroad, private institutions, college classrooms, you name it. Wow. And so <laughs> education does have some overlap with the general world of nonprofits. What inspired you to transition and take your education background into the nonprofit sector? Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, working in the nonprofit industry was definitely not part of the original master plan for me. Growing up, I simply wasn't exposed to a whole lot of different career fields. In my parents' world, success looked like either one, becoming a doctor, two, becoming a lawyer, or three, becoming a professor. So I chose option three at the time. So I didn't think, I mean, I honestly thought that I would be teaching at the, the college level. And as luck would have it, I 
didn't end up getting my own dream job in academia, and I needed to pay the bills. And so I started uh, part-time working for a nonprofit based in Los Angeles, and I was using some of the skills that I had really honed over the years as a graduate student, which was writing and research. And I had also done um, brief stints with different international NGOs abroad. And so that all came together, and what I thought would be a temporary career choice is actually the career that I'm doing now, which is working in an education nonprofit. Uh, basically, I just never looked back. Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about that first role you took? Sure. It started off as a part-time grant writing uh, project. And so I was literally just submitting grants to foundations, doing the research, figuring out how to best capture the story of the nonprofit. And this turned into a full-time director of foundation relations role for a nonprofit organization based out of Los Angeles called Para Los Niños. And it was a education nonprofit. They operated early education centers, charter schools, mental health services, family services. It was really sort of a holistic wraparound service organization. And I was part of the development team writing grants to raise money for those fantastic programs. Mm -hmm. At Para Los Niños, when did it really click for you that this was the sector you wanted to be working in? Almost immediately. I, you know, started on the path to towards academia without giving it much thought. I had been through a lot of school. I thought that was the natural progression. I just, I just teach and I research afterwards. And there, although I enjoyed it, I didn't have that strong of a passion for what I was doing. Reading and writing, certainly enjoyed it, but the nonprofit world gave me an opportunity to start doing and to see an immediate impact of my work. And with Para Los Niños, you know, fundraising, there's a very direct correlation. More funds means more children and families served. And I saw that immediately. And I, I just really love that aspect of, of the nonprofit world. Nice. And you talk a lot about the expectations for your own professional path. And that makes me think a lot about the students that you're serving now with Spark. Yeah and how a lot of those expectations still need to be set. Could you tell myself and those who aren't familiar with Spark a little bit more about the program and just what it is you do? Sure. Well, Spark, as you mentioned earlier, is a national nonprofit. We are currently serving 1,200 students across four major cities, Los Angeles, the Bay Area, Chicago, and Philadelphia. And in a nutshell, Spark believes that every young student in America deserves to be engaged in their education and graduating from high school. And we know that the process of dropping out of high school begins earlier in middle school. And what many people don't realize is that 68% of high school dropouts leave school at the end of ninth grade. So we try to reach students in 7th and 8th grade before they're on a path towards dropping out. So we partner with schools in underserved communities, and teachers enroll students in the SPARK program based on certain indicators that suggest they may be on the track towards dropping out. We then pair those students with a volunteer professional at a workplace like Cornerstone or Google, Hulu, Warner Brothers, the list goes on, and students travel to the workplace and work with their mentors on a hands-on project related to their interests. So kids and their mentors are sometimes building apps, they're designing their dream homes, they are creating new business plans, 
And all of that is complemented by a year-long in-school curriculum where the teacher teaches a SPARK class focused on goal setting, mapping their future, and other skill development. And, and it works. 92% of SPARK students have graduated or are on track to do so compared to 70% of their peers. That's amazing. So Spark is obviously making a fantastic impact, and it's definitely made an impact upon you. How did you find your way to Spark? So from Para Los Niños, or rather, when I was at Para Los Niños, we operated a charter school for underserved youth in the community. And just as one of my side projects, I decided to work with the principal on starting a mentoring program for middle school students. And we partnered with different architectural firms in the Los Angeles community, and they would come to the school and work with students on hands-on projects. At the time, that was just something that I wanted to do. I just, you know, sometimes writing grants and fundraising gets a little bit tiring. And so I just wanted not to, to knock those in development. <laughs> That's right. It's very important work. I just wanted to do something where I felt more connected to the school and to the students. Fast forward a few months later, the, uh, the job description for Spark came across my desk and I kind of briefly looked at, at a description of the organization and so much of it resonated with me from the importance of middle school to the importance of mentoring and exposure to different worlds. I really think that that's what it takes to, to kind of open the eyes of a student. And, and I loved everything that Spark stood for. So I applied for the role, not even looking for a new job. Um, and, and here I am. Wow. So Vice President of California Regions, let's talk about that role and what it really entails. Let's imagine you're at a conference and you're speaking to a few people about your work in the sector and what they do. How do you explain your job to them? Sure. Well, as Vice President of the California Regions, I'm solely responsible for the program quality and fundraising for both students in the Los Angeles area and the Bay Area regions. So that's a total of 14 staff members serving 600 students across four different cities. And I'm one of the many brand ambassadors and evangelists for Spark. And overall, my goal is simply to ensure that we're doing great work, that we're delivering a high quality program that makes an impact on our schools and our students, and that we're delivering on the program that we're promising to our mentors, funders, and various constituents. Mm -hmm. How do you balance program management and development? These are both hugely critical things, uh, but can often compete for time. Sure. Well, I, um, I actually don't look at those things as two separate things. I firmly believe that development is easy. I know there are a lot of people who are probably surprised to hear me say that, but it's easy when you spend a lot of your time and effort developing a high-quality program. It just sort of sells itself. And so my, you know, in any busy professional's life, you have to make a lot of strategic choices. And I have invested a lot of time in making the program something that mentors, students, and all people involved hopefully really enjoy. And then people want to support the program, whether as mentors, funders, etc. So... Okay, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Development is the easy part. Oh, I'm, I almost want to take that back. I don't necessarily think it's easy, um, but certainly 
it's well worth investing in the program that you're selling. Yeah. If you build it, they will come most of the time, sometimes. So you mentioned having to make a lot of strategic choices. Could you walk us through a typical day and what that looks like for you? Well, there there actually really is no typical day. Uh, The exciting part of my role is that each and every day looks very different. One day I may be focused on internal things like hiring or building a new team to having a board meeting on another day to traveling to places here like Cornerstone and, and doing a podcast. So no matter what I'm doing, I'd say that each day is very busy. There's never a dull moment and I'm always surrounded by people. When you think about never being a dull moment, what are some of the least dull moments? What are those big challenges that you find yourself facing? Uh, It depends on where we are in the calendar year. Sometimes it may be we have an event coming up and we we are far, far away from our fundraising goal. So it's not dull when you hear that you're 50% to goal and you should be at 80%. Um, Other times it may be that we need to recruit 200 mentors in the next two weeks. And that's not dull because we have to pull out all the stops to make sure we get mentors to match with our students. So each and every day brings its own set of surprises. And sometimes you get emails where you've hit 100% of your fundraising goal or all of your students are matched. So uh, you never know what each day is going to bring you. When you think about the development of the program and some of your strategic goals, what keeps you up at night? I think For me, I think a lot, not about what we're going to accomplish in this next year. I think a lot about where Spark will be 10 years down the line and all of the things that we need to do to build a firm foundation for scale. So when I'm up at night, I'm usually thinking way into the future and how we're going to build a program that's really sustainable. Um, And for Spark, that means getting a lot of support from our corporate partners. That means having the right um, donors to support us. And like I said earlier, it means having a really high quality program. So the million dollar question is, how do you maintain quality as you scale? So I think about those things late into the night. Great. So we've spoken a lot about the challenges. Let's talk about the rewards. What's the most rewarding part of your job? The most rewarding part of my job is, I think it all comes together for me at Discovery Night. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with what Spark's Discovery Night is, Discovery Night is when students and mentors display the projects that they've been working on all semester. It's a mashup between a career fair and a science fair. And so on Discovery Night, you see mentors and students presenting to a room full of parents, teachers, peers, other students, mentors, and one shy students who were barely able to speak up or look you in the eye, are now able to talk in a very sophisticated manner about the app that they just built, or they'll walk you through the coding project that they worked on with their mentors. And that's only after eight short weeks. And for me, what's so rewarding is you can see the almost immediate impact that the Spark program has on their lives, just in terms of the confidence level that they now have. Now, thinking about that idea of growth and progress over that time, let's look back on your experience at Spark. You began here in the Los Angeles region, and now with your additional responsibilities, what do you wish you had known when you were first starting out as executive director? 
looking back, I think that, and it's still something that I tell myself every day, the most important thing for us here at Spark has been the relationships that we've built along the way. And that relationships take time, but that if you invest in them early on, you really see the fruits of your labor. So Cornerstone is a perfect example. We started with Cornerstone hosting three students that quickly jumped to 27 to hopefully this semester, close to 100 volunteers at Cornerstone. That's been a relationship that we've built and nurtured over time, and it's grown very rapidly, even in the past couple of years. And when I look back upon the different successes at Spark, they all stem from these types of relationships. Do you have a secret recipe for relationship management? A secret recipe? Um, Yeah, just getting to know people one-on-one. At the end of the day, a funder is just a person. A corporate partner, there's another person sitting across from you at the desk. And I think everybody just wants to do good work, no matter what side of the table they're sitting on. So when you can connect on a personal level, typically there's a lot of uh, professional synergy as well. Now let's talk about the people who make Spark Run, the talent. When you look for hiring a new employee at Spark. What are the qualities that you find are key to a successful employee? I think that my answer to that question has changed over time. So when I first started at Spark, Spark was very young. It ran more like a nonprofit startup. Over the past few years, we've really matured. So like all nonprofit startups, typically people wear many, many different hats. I personally, uh, on, on, a, on the same day that I'm fundraising, I am also making copies. You know, everybody is sort of running around the office doing lots of different things. So at the time, I wanted to make sure that I hired great generalists who were able to do many different tasks. Now that we've matured a bit as an organization, I look for people who have areas of specialization and a, a really strong internal drive. Because working in nonprofits um, sometimes is not easy. Long hours, little resources, not that much pay compared to other industries. So you need somebody with that internal willpower and passion for the mission to really sustain them. What do you view as your role as executive director and now vice president in maintaining that motivation? Again, that's changed over time as well. When I first started, um, and probably because I was coming from uh, a background in academia, I really saw myself more as an individual contributor. So on a given day, there are many fires to put out. So at the time, I tried to lead by example, showing the team that a person should be resourceful, entrepreneurial, be really creative in solving problems. And that was sort of how I led the team for the first year or so. Now that we're in sort of a more mature phase uh, in our growth process, I try to be more of a team leader. I try to manage them from behind and set them up for success so that they can effectively execute. Mm -hmm. And thinking about setting them up for success, successfully managing and delegating. Now, you mentioned earlier that a big part of your job is developing relationships Mm -hmm. and working in the community. Mm -hmm. How do you balance your time out of the office and your time in the office to really be that effective leader they need? I literally use specific organizational tools to make sure that I'm getting that right balance. 
So I have my calendar up set for the week and I can visually see how my time is being spent. I like to divide my time so that I have in-office days where I'm focused on team and professional development of my staff, make sure we're planning and executing properly. And then the rest of my time is spent externally, meeting with different funders and corporate partners. And when I can, I like to bake in some me time as well so that I can stay above the day-to-day and think more strategically and maintain my own personal balance as well. Now, how do you know if the work that you and your team is doing is actually making an impact? Could you tell us a little bit about those key performance indicators? Sure. Well, that's one of the things that first really drew me to Spark as an organization. Having a research background, for me, metrics and results was very important. And Spark, even though it's a relatively younger organization, has been measuring our results from the very beginning. So we know that we're successful if our students are, one, graduating from high school, and two, if they are actually ready for high school. So we're partnered with the districts and schools to make sure that we're collecting that data. So we're able to track the progress of all of our students. On the mentor side, we give out surveys to make sure that we are giving our mentors a good experience as well. We want our partners to be happy. We want our teachers, parents, and all of the constituents that we're involved with to give us as much feedback as possible because we're a relatively small and young organization, so we can be very nimble and make real-time changes based on that feedback. How do your employees know that they're making a difference? Same way. I think we all are focused on the same exact metrics. Um, And our definition of success has to look consistent in order for us to know that we're all going in the right direction. So we try to stay fiercely focused on high school graduation, high school readiness, and all of that bears out in the results that we track. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a fierce focus. (laughs) Now, you mentioned that you're always sure to account for me time in terms of strategic planning. Could you uh, tell me a little bit more about that? What does long-term strategic planning really look like for you? And how do you actually make that me time? I think that's something we all struggle with. So I have to be candid and say I definitely struggle with it. Sometimes you have plans and they work out and other times you plan to do it and it just doesn't happen. So my confession is that most of the time that me time doesn't take place as much as I'd like it to. Having said that, when I do have me time, I like to read. I like to get up to speed on what's happening in the education world, what's happening in the business world, and just sort of fill my tank with the knowledge that I feel is necessary to talk to different constituents. So that's one thing that I personally like to do. I also have a few priority areas laid out for the California region. So I reflect on those regularly and just do a a mental progress check on where we are as it relates to those goals. Um, And just even taking a step back to celebrate the wins, that in itself is very healing. So I do that. And sometimes just to be in a different place away from the office, away from people is the way that I, I personally refuel. How do you avoid insulating yourself in your work and making sure that you're staying accountable to the interest of your employees, your constituents, and the rest of the regions that are operating? 
If anything, I have the opposite problem, not feeling like I can insulate myself enough. I think part of my job is I'm constantly surrounded by people. I'm always with my team. I'm always meeting with external constituents. And for me, I feel that what's healthy is to actually insulate myself. And as we were just talking about, get that sort of strategic thinking time, that refueling of energy time. Great. Now, with all that me time, I'm sure you've already decided all of this. What are your short-term and long-term goals for Spark here in California? Sure. Well, Spark California is actually two very culturally and geographically distinct regions. So my goals for each region is very different. In Los Angeles, the goal is to keep the momentum going, to make sure we're continuing to grow within our schools, that we are continuing to partner with new schools and communities that need us, and that we have the mentors and corporate partners in place to really ensure that that growth is sustainable. In the Bay Area, we are in a different place. We have a brand new team and we are laying the foundation for further scale down the line. We are looking very strategically at who our partners are, where we should be in terms of next steps and school districts. And so progress there looks very different from what we have in Los Angeles. And thinking about those cultural and geographic differences, when you enter a new region, how do you prepare for those? So this is actually the funnest part of my job. Uh, my background is actually anthropology. So I love studying different cultures. And I think a common misconception is that anthropologists go abroad and to faraway lands to, to study these different cultures. But Silicon Valley is a very different culture than Santa Monica. And I really um, love meeting new people and trying to absorb the new cultures right away. When you step into a company, you can sort of sometimes feel how different the culture is. Um, and doing research and kind of uh, learning more about what that culture looks like from the partners themselves is always the fun part. Now, lastly, when you're talking to someone who's considering joining the nonprofit sector, perhaps transitioning into it for the first time from college or from the corporate world, what's the piece of advice that you would give them? First and foremost, I think you've got to have a passion for the mission. The nonprofit industry, like many industries, is, is tough. You don't have a lot of resources and you're expected to wear many different hats. And the one thing that's going to keep you going is if you love the work that you do. There are actually many wonderful causes and many different nonprofits to choose from. You've got to make sure that you're at the nonprofit that fuels you the most. Great. Now, for listeners looking to learn more about Spark and how they or their company could offer a workplace apprenticeship, sure. where should they go? They can go to our website, www.sparkprogram.org. And if you click on the volunteer tab, you can either sign up on the spot to become a mentor, or you can reach out to either myself, Yoon Choi, or one of my colleagues to learn more information, and we will follow right up with you. Great. 
Yoon, thank you. Thank you, Justin. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you stopping by. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it has been uh, a wonder to learn more about you and your career today. Thank you. And we're so proud and happy to be partnered with a great organization like Cornerstone and its foundation. On the next episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I'll be joined by Matt Rabb, Program Director at School on Wheels. Be sure to subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. Finally, be sure to sign up for NonprofitReady.org, our open online learning portal for nonprofit professionals, which includes more than 300 online learning resources covering the most crucial job functions in the nonprofit sector, all 100% free. The Nonprofit Ready Podcast is a production of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. Thanks to our executive producer, Alec Green, our editorial director, Jeanette Lamb, our sound producer, Trung Ngo, and most importantly, you, for helping us to build the nonprofit-ready community. Learn more about all the capacity-building services of the Cornerstone On-Demand Foundation at csodfoundation.org. Thank you, and have a great day.